Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Because every single day, the North Carolina Democratic Progressive Caucus, uh, Democratic Party Progressive Caucus, so the you know Democrats, their little, like the Republicans, I think, call theirs conferences, right? These little groups, you know, like the... Well, the Freedom Caucus calls themselves a caucus. But like the, yeah, so the Democrats will have like these little caucuses inside of the party, right? Um, and this is the Progressive Caucus inside the state Democratic Party. And they tweet every single day, this is your daily reminder that the biggest killer of American children is guns. And so every single day, I post a reply. <laughs> I say, uh, this is your daily reminder that this is only true if you exclude infant deaths under age one and you include 18 and 19 year olds because gun deaths among quote unquote children is driven by violent street crime. And the caucus knows this. Every single day they put this out. They just keep lying. So, yeah, if you would like to uh, come on over and participate in that fun. It's on the Twitter machine. Um, then there's this from Michael. He says, Pete, your Fauci impression is spot on. With a little more emotion, you'd sound like Howard's mom on the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've heard it. Um, I mean, it's come on. Not all people from the Bronx sound the same. Yeah, they do. And I can say that my dad's from the Bronx. Maybe that's why I I can channel it very well. I don't know. So uh, Anthony, the science Fauci, did a series of interviews with the New York Times. I'm giving you the highlights. It's it's an hour-long read. And um, it's important because it's a post-mortem. It's a look back. And I'm going to get to the part where... Uh, he he starts getting his dander up with the reporter uh, about about the reporter's, quote, Monday morning quarterbacking on all of this, on the COVID pandemic response. He says, um, first, in the, the big headline, you know, from the last hour was that uh, he never told anybody to shut down. He was just recommending based on, you know, health outcomes. That's all they were doing. He says he was just given a public health recommendation which echoed the CDC's recommendation, and then other people, you know, they made decisions all on their own, right? They, they're, they, they got, yeah, they got to stand by their decisions. We simply said, you better do these things, or else all these people are going to die. That's all we said, and then they just went and implemented all this stuff that we said that they had to do. But I didn't lock the schools down. He then says, "quote." If you look at what we knew at the time, though, we didn't know that in January we were not fully appreciative of the fact that we were dealing with a highly, highly transmissible virus 
that was clearly spread by ways that were unprecedented and unexperienced by us. And, and so it fooled us in the beginning and confused us about the need for masks and the need for ventilation and the need for inhibition of social interaction. And the reporter says, yes, the asymptomatic spread. Remember that? Asymptomatic. Because remember, at the very beginning, right, we didn't know that people who didn't exhibit any signs whatsoever could actually spread the virus, which was really, I mean, that was the big problem, right? When we were finding that out, it was like, oh, my goodness. Um, you know, this person appears completely well, and they're not. And then, of course, we find out later on that, well, actually, they, they did have some mild symptoms, but it, they're, they're so mild and they rep, they're, they're so common to, like, all sorts of other things. And then everybody was like, oh, my gosh, I, I think, you know, I, I, think I, I think I have COVID because <clears throat> I think, <clears throat> like, oh, I, I may have it. I don't know. And then everybody ran out and tested. And then, of course, all the PCR tests. And I've gone in depth, you know, with the, the PCR testing problems. But Fauci said that the asymptomatic spread was a, quote, game changer. On the masks. He says, ultimately, an epidemiologist sees it as an epidemiological phenomena. An economist sees it from an economic standpoint. And I see it from somebody in bed dying. And that's the reason it just bothers me a lot. Maybe more so than some others. That because of the culture wars that you're talking about, there are people who are not going to make use of an intervention that could have saved their lives. You mean like horse paste? Right, like that? But, um... See, his problem was that he cared too much. (laughs) This is... This is the same thing that people do on their, right, on the job interview or in your performance reviews, right? And that, isn't this what you say? Like when you're asked, can you tell me, like one of, uh, you know, tell me a trait that you're working on, a negative characteristic, but, you know, uh, please tell me, what do you do poorly? Well, if I have to narrow it down, it's that I care too much. See how negative that could be? Yeah. The reporter asks about, Communication, of course. Did we do enough to communicate the age skew of the disease? In other words, that old people were getting it and dying from it, right? Which was a piece of information that Andrew Cuomo up in New York used, right, to great efficiency and effectiveness. In fact, doing so cost them a congressional seat that we got. Yeah. The excess mortality, the deaths that... New York State had because of COVID, because of his policies that sent all of the COVID people back into the nursing homes and then having COVID rip through the nursing homes and kill all these people in New York. Right. They lost their seat. I forget what the number was, but it was within that margin of the excess mortality like that. You the COVID deaths. Had he not done what he did, had he not done that policy, they would have kept that congressional seat. But he killed so many people. Yeah. Um, so did we not do enough to communicate the age skew of the disease? Fauci says, quote, Somehow or another, the general public didn't get that feeling that the vulnerable are really, really heavily weighted toward the elderly. Which is amazing. Like daily press conferences at all levels of government with the love gov up in New York or, or Pataki eating the Big Mac and all that, right? 
He says like 85% of the hospitalizations are there. But if you ask the person on the street, they may say, oh, yeah, elderly are more vulnerable, but everybody's really vulnerable, which is true, but to a much lesser extent. Right? See, if, now, if you were listening to me, my show, I was telling you this. I was breaking down the comorbidities based on uh, the age groups because it's really important. I was sitting in on all of the governor's press conferences. I mean, remotely, of course, and they would never take questions from me along with other you know, media that might challenge their narratives. Because what I was posting and doing like live tweeting of the um, of the press conferences and 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 pointing these things out to obviously no avail. Nobody used the information. No reporter looked at anything that ever got posted by yours truly and thought, hey, you know what? I don't know if this is true or not, but this is a good question. I should ask it. And trust me, they were good questions. And I'm not just saying that because they were my questions. I'm saying that because I know a thing or two about asking good questions. I used to be a journalist. <laughs> so like, it's a question. I don't know how he's going to answer it, but it, it, it deserves to be asked Why, Why? after all of the press conferences that were held, I mean, we're talking daily press conferences, why now does Fauci still believe that the American public didn't understand that the real risk was was focused on the elderly? Who, who failed? Oh, I guess this is Brett Winterbull, right? The, the great philosopher, Brett Winterbull. The system failed. <laughs> That's his answer to all of this. Well, that's because that's their answer, and it's so true. Like, this is what he's saying. I, I'm not to blame, right? I'm not to blame. For some reason or another, people never got the message. Dude, you were on TV every day. You were doing you were doing interviews from sunup to sundown on every single news station. How did this message not get through? If not your fault, whose fault is it? The system, right. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. While you are watching the draft and finding out whether or not the Panthers pick that quarterback or that quarterback, um, yeah, I will be hanging out at an HOA meeting what I do. Things might get a little bit rowdy. Um, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Back to this New York Times article. The reporter asks the science. Oh, before I forget, before I forget, <clears throat> somebody mentioned earlier, I think it was caller Joe, said something about how uh, none of these people like Mandy Cohen, especially, you know, Cohen and Cooper, uh, when, when they were doing their daily briefings or every other day briefings during the COVID pandemic, right, it, it, it got to be such a joke. This is why I do this. When people, when we talk about COVID or really anything along these lines, and what do I, I, I do the, the incantation, 
the science and data. Why do I do that? Because that's what it became. That's what it became. It was their answer for everything. And they never explained anything, right? They would just say that we're just following the science and the data. Somebody would ask a question and they would get an answer of, well, the data and the science and the science and the data. And they just said it so many times in answer to so many different questions without any other explanation except the science and data. And so that's all it became. It was just an incantation. Like, I just say this thing and you believe it. There's a religious component to it. So, David Wallace Wells. Hang on a second. I keep saying David, and I don't remember if it actually is David. It is David. Yay me. Mine like a steel trap I've got. Okay. Uh, so David Wallace Wells says, In the vaccine rollout, did we make a mistake in prioritizing healthcare workers as opposed to seniors? Good question. Fauci says, I don't know if it was a mistake. A mistake is such a charged word. Oh, so it was a, so it's a trans stake. It's a mistake that doesn't identify as a mistake. Is that what's going on? It's a trans stake. He then says, Fauci made a mistake. People died. Fauci lied. People died. I mean, come on. I don't know if it was a mistake. I think the standard way of protecting people who are at greater risk every day was a sound principle. So that wasn't a mistake. But he doesn't know if it was a mistake. But he doesn't like the word mistake. But maybe it could have been a mistake. By the way, uh, all right, well, hang on. Before I get to the reporter then says, did we talk enough about the risk of breakthroughs? Through the summer of 2021, the messaging was that breakthrough cases were very rare and functionally never resulted in serious illness. But beginning with the Delta variant, both of those things became much less true. And now in 2023, more than half of our deaths are among vaccinated people. Was there enough communication to prepare people, especially the vulnerable elderly, for some continuing risk going forward? Now, there's a footnote here that says that from September 21 through May 22, right? So fall of 21 through May of last year, right? Through spring of last year, the unvaccinated share of deaths fell from 77% unvaccinated dying to 38% unvaccinated dying. This is, in certain ways, a statistical curiosity. The risk of death to an individual is reduced by, on average, 90% by vaccination. But because most of the country, and an especially large share of vulnerable elderly, is vaccinated, the raw death totals in that group can pile up. In this way... They are also a reminder that while vaccines work, they are not perfect, especially over time. That's their footnote. Okay, so remember, the question was, was there enough communication to prepare people about the risk going forward? In other words, that we're going to have to booster forever and ever. Amen. Right. Fauci. Well, yeah, that is the game we are playing. Trying to learn from what happened. I'm trying to. Uh, to prosecute you on it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm reading the reporters. I'm oh, sorry. I read the wrong line. Fauci said, I mean, we tried, David. We're playing a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking here. This is some really serious Monday morning quarterbacking. <laughs> and I love this line. And so David Wallace Wells says, well, yeah, that is the game we're playing. 
He's exactly right. He says, trying to learn from what happened. He says, I'm not trying to prosecute you on any of these points. I'm just trying to ask what went right, what went wrong. What do we understand better now? And what could we do better next time? Right? These are perfectly appropriate questions to ask. But, but note, note the reaction from the science here. Right? Like, how dare you question the Fauci, the science? How dare you question this? How dare you ask him if you made some mistakes and, oh, you're, this is Monday, this is serious Monday morning quarterbacking. Serious Monday morning quarterbacking. Yes. And kudos to the reporter for saying yes and taking it square on. You're absolutely right. That's what I'm doing, as we should be doing. Fauci says, of course we could have done it better. We tried. If you look at what I was saying in the months before I stepped down It's that if you are vaccinated and boosted and have available therapy, you are not going to die, no matter how old you are. I don't think you can make that promise, especially if someone's like, you know, 120. I don't think you could promise them they're not going to die. They're 120 for crying out loud. We were very explicit in saying that. Did people hear that? I don't know. How loud do you have to say something for people to understand? How often have you got to say it? There it is. It's not our fault. It was a communications problem. That's it. All right. Now, given the state of affairs in our country and the world, are you asking yourself whether you're prepared for an emergency? I actually get asked this a lot. My answer, start at Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies, the full line of Augustine Farms and Mountain House Foods, books, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, camping and hiking supplies. Being prepared is just smart. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing or somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. In Waynesville and online at CarolinaReadiness.com, get tickets to the Heritage Life Skills event also. Make a day trip to the mountains and return home fully prepared. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Let me get to some emails here. Uh, Pete, I just wrote you about my cousin who died with COVID, and I think the COVID bonuses definitely contributed to his death. Might as well have posted pictures of the person with the caption, Wanted, Dead, or Alive. Um, so, uh, let me see. Who is that? Tim, Tim, if you're still listening, thank you. But, um, go check out that California lawsuit and see if there's anything in there that, I mean, if he's filing a class action lawsuit, there may be the ability for your family to participate in that. So just a heads up on that. Um, do, 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 do. What is this? Uh, COVID protocol. The article you just read about hospital COVID protocol is exactly what the hospitals did to my cousin. First at the local hospital in Ashboro, then moved him to UNC Chapel Hill where they finished him off. I guess that is appropriate since gain of function started at Chapel Hill under one Dr. Barrick. Um, my only anxiety, this is from Bob, who says, my only anxiety during the pandemic occurred when I was adjacent to a healthcare or government facility. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why that was your anxiety. Um, so while we're doing all of the Monday morning quarterbacking, I also noticed there's a different kind of distancing going on. Not the social distancing that we were told to uh, engage in at all times, unless, of course, you were organizing an arrest of some protesters in Raleigh, right? who were upset about the lockdowns and such. 
um, then you didn't have to socially distance, but uh, or wear masks, apparently, while you were just organizing the arrests. When you went and made the arrests, then they wanted you to you know, suit up with the PPE and do all of that by the book. So this way you wouldn't be accused of hypocrisy. But um, while we're, while we're talking about the distancing, there's another distancing that's occurring and you caught a little bit of it in the Fauci interview, right? Which is when Fauci was talking about how he didn't tell anybody to lock down. Remember he merely made a public health recommendation and it was up to other people. If they wanted to lock stuff down, that was their call. I was not telling anybody to do it. I didn't order you locked out. I didn't have that authority. So he's distancing himself. Such uh, as is, I should say, Randy Weingarten. The teachers union leader, American Federation of Teachers leader. And we find out she testified yesterday in front of Congress, but we also found out that she was more deeply involved with the CDC reopening of the school's guidance in February of 2021 than was previously known. Which, like, I don't know about you, but I knew it. (laughs) I mean, I didn't know it for sure because I didn't have, like, the actual evidence, but I totally knew it. Everybody, you could... You could totally read between the lines, right? We all knew what was happening. We all could see the, the communications and such, and the teachers were using it as leverage, and that's why they got boost, uh, uh, boosted. Well, yeah, but they got they got pushed to the front of the line on the on the shots, right? And why did that happen? First off, I don't even know if they anticipated that they would be allowed to skip ahead of everybody else. I don't I don't know if they thought that they'd be successful at that. Because they very well could have just said, we're not going back to work in the schools until we want to. And frankly, we just don't want to go back to work. We're, we're kind of happy hanging out at home, watching TV, going on some trips, going out to the bars that are, you know, totally closed. But they were fine with it being closed, with the schools being closed. And, they, and then they were like, well, you got to go back. We got to open these up. You're hurting the kids. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, kids, kids, whatever. But uh, I'll tell you what we'll do. You, we, we won't go back because, you know, safety first. Um, and so we don't want to go back into the schools because we could catch it from the kids. And while it's not a threat to the kids, we could catch it and it could kill us or it could kill somebody in our household who may be, you know, immunocompromised. Uh, or elderly, and all of a sudden we found out, like, all these people who work in the schools, like, every single one of them, they're either immunocompromised or they are a caregiver for somebody who is, but okay. So they're like, you got to get us the shots. You got to get us vaxxed before we'll go back to the schools. And so what happened was they got pushed to the head of the line. And I wonder if they thought that that was actually going to happen, you know? It's like the dog that caught the car. (laughs) So once they got, yeah, so once they got, access to the vaccinations and they got enough numbers vaccinated and it's like, okay, well now there's no excuse for you to stay home anymore. And that's when we started hearing some of these other things like, well, we're not really sure. What about like, if it's asymptomatic and I get vaccinated, what if I bring it home and I share it still or whatever? It's not a hundred percent. And we started hearing all of these other kind of cockamamie ideas, but we always knew that the teachers unions were directing this return to schools protocol. And now we find out thanks to emails and documents, New York post uh, has uh, obtained 
powerful AFT boss, that's American Federation of Teachers, Randy Weingarten, spoke twice by phone with the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, in the week leading up to the February 12th, 2021 announcement that halted full reopening of in-person classes. Do you remember that? They're like, we're totally reopening after Christmas, and then they totally didn't reopen, right? Didn't reopen. Two phone calls, one of which occurred the day before the guidance got released. AFT, along with its fellow union, the National Education Association, or the NEA, also asked the White House and the CDC for help shaping its press strategy to show the rank-and-file teachers that they and the Biden administration were all on the same page. So they needed everybody to pull together. The records show that Walensky took a call from Randy Weingarten on February 7th, five days before the CDC released its, quote, operational strategy for K-12 schools through phased mitigation. And by the way, Mandy Cohen and you know my good friend Governor Ray Cooper and all of the states and the local jurisdictions, they all used this rec- the, these recommendations. They all relied on this stuff. And they all talked about their toolkit. You know, we have all these things in our toolkit. We're following the science and data. Yet the science and data said that kids weren't getting sick from it. They weren't dying from it. And they're being harmed by not being able to go to school. And I say that as one who's not a fan of K-12 government schools. But you made all of these kids and their families dependent on this K-12 government service model. And then you locked them out of it. And there were no alternatives. Or so they thought, I guess, because then people started the pods, right? These education pods. And they started getting together and hiring some teachers, speech therapists, you know, like yeah, I mean, yeah, like like they're in like the Nazi Germany. Like, okay, well, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have let's get together with a couple of kids here. Let's do some speech therapy sessions. Okay, just take the mask down so I can see and I can form your mouth and see how your tongue is positioned and all of this. Okay, now put the mask back on. You know, like this is what they were resorted to. There was never a look or an accounting on the other side of the ledger. Right, everything was about we got to protect. We got to protect against COVID. Don't let anybody die of COVID. COVID zero, right? No, no spread. Stop the spread. Flatten the curve. All of that. But there was never an accounting for the deaths of despair, for the the lifelong, you know, the learning loss, the lifelong impacts of that. All of that other side of the ledger, because there were costs, and those were real people too. You know, their health and their lives counted too. And at some point, there has to be a reckoning for that. I would think. Yeah, sure. Let's get. Robert on. Hello, Robert. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, Pete. I hope you're doing well on a rainy day. Yes, sir. Cannot complain. I mean, outside of like what I do for a living. Yes. Exactly. Right. But uh, I appreciate you uh, talking about this whole treatment protocol being employed, uh, implemented by a lot of hospitals throughout the United States through this COVID uh, mess. And that was the uh, remdesivir. Um, and uh, it's not just in California. I guess that's where the lawsuit is right yeah, now. Yeah, right. But it's been implemented uh, by hospitals all throughout the country, including in this area also. Mm-hmm. And basically, I don't know if you saw where Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has spoken out about this recently. 
in yeah, talking about. Yeah, but... But Kennedy yeah. RFK is a bit uh, is yeah. a bit wacky. Has been for a long time, and so like I. Right. But I entered, and look, I, I learned a long time ago that an idea is not responsible for everybody that that follows it. You know. Um, right. But he's he's. I mean, it's good that somebody is raising those issues at the national level, like he is. But mm-hmm. sometimes I wonder, is he? discrediting it because he is also such an anti-vaxxer on like everything you know all vaccines and such and like i've heard people make these arguments i just don't know if they're i don't know if they're winning arguments about all of the other vaccines you know right and i i agree with you there but i think the truth needs to be told about uh the remdesivir itself what what it was doing to people and uh and i heard your account uh, Mm -hmm. earlier when you're talking about the the lawsuit what some of these families experienced, and I had a family friend that went through this, mm. um, and it was a disaster. Yeah. You know, they basically shoved them in the back room in the hospital and let them, you know, die. And uh, you know, because treating with the remdesivir, and uh, I'm convinced that uh, there's more to this, and I hopefully the the truth will come mm. out. Well, yeah, and I mentioned um, Dr. Peter McCulloch. Uh, Mm-hmm. who is the, he's been a leading voice uh, on, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say alternative, but I mean, he's, he has been chastising his own profession uh, and and practitioners during the, uh, during the pandemic and since because of the way that they treated patients or, or didn't. Um, and it reminded me of, there's a doctor named Jemsek, J E M S E K. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, he was in Charlotte. He was like a, a leading physician treating HIV and AIDS patients. Was I mean, like very, very well known uh, infectious disease guy. And um, he then started treating uh, people who came in and presented with symptoms. And so he started treating their symptoms. And uh, they they all uh, he started noticing more and more of these patients coming through. And and what they all said they had. Um, was Lyme disease. Uh-huh. And he starts treating them and curing them, and then he has his law license, or his, uh, his medical license revoked in North Carolina. They ran him out of this state mm-hmm. because he was treating them in a, in a manner that was not in line with the protocols that were developed and adopted by, quote, you know, the industry that just said, take a two-week course of, uh, of antibiotics. And uh, he ended up going up to, like, the D.C. area, open to practice up there. I interviewed him uh, for three hours one night. Mm-hmm. We had him on the program. Um, they did a documentary about him. Uh, but they did. the state eventually took his, his uh, license, I believe. He has since regained it. And I want to say he is now back in the Charlotte area. But I don't know if he treats Lyme patients anymore. Yeah, that's. It's interesting. Yeah, there's like this similar kind of dynamic where if you treat the patient with things like because because he said the same thing McCulloch said, which was what does the patient have? What are their symptoms presenting? Right, Right. they're presenting, and let's let's address that. And that's what Jemsek he walked me through. He was like, somebody comes in and they've got this issue, I give them this to treat that, and then they have this other issue, I give them something else to treat that. And because he was doing these things, the 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 industry said, "You're not following the protocols. We're not going to pay." The insurance companies like, "We're not we're not going to pay." So you're 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 billing for uh, unnecessary services. 
right. Yeah. And, and I think the same thing was happening uh, in the hospitals on the treatment of the COVID, to be honest with you. And if, you know, it's the old saying, follow the money. Yeah. And, uh, and I really appreciate you taking my yeah. phone call. Enjoy your show. Thanks, Robert. I appreciate it. Good chat. Um, thanks for uh, calling. No, and look, I don't have the answers here. And I, look, I angered my own doctor when I started asking some of this stuff. By the way, let me know a good doctor. I need to. <laughs> All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.